We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome to another AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about week four in the AFC East. Yeah. Chris? Quarter of the season all done. I don't know if I can stretch wide enough for everybody to see this, but uh, it feels real good. feels real good to be in the Bill's position today. I can wear this shirt with impunity. Just marketed it around. I I have to ask. If you think about the way the AFC has gone and the way it's been portrayed and some of the things that we've talked about this week in various podcasts, you would almost believe, right? Like you would almost believe that the Jets like the Jets weren't that bad. That the Patriots are still gonna figure it out. And that the Bills really didn't win anything that big this week is it all to be believed right yeah according to the national media who i think we took to task pretty well fucking what's his face like nick 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 Wright still looks like he could fall off the top top of nakatomi plaza with that said it's interesting watching the way everybody's games went. The fact the Bills were the only team in the AFC East to win a game this weekend. I guess that's where we start is at the bottom, right? Because we're the only ones to win. Who lost? Well, we'll start with the Jets. They lost 23-20 to the Kansas City Chiefs. And with that, we bring in Mr. Scott Mason. So, Scott... Isn't it nice knowing that all things considered, the Jets aren't the biggest laughing stock in the Jersey area this week? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you one thing. I would not want to be Evan Neal's publicist right now. <laughs> oh, my God. That play that got like distributed on social media, you're talking to a guy who didn't know the play, which is fine, but it's not fine. You're an NFL offensive lineman who's not a rookie. How do you not know the play call? My favorite was uh, Bruce Nolan made a meme t- today. Well, technically yesterday. We disseminated I retweeted it, and I thought it was genius. And it was the photo of Brian Dable walking off the field yelling, yelling, red face, yelling at Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones making a face like, oh, God, shoot me. And the funny thing is he, he paired that up with a scene from the original Iron Man movie in like the recent Marvel universe they created the very first one. If you go back to that and it's the guy yelling at the scientist going, Josh Allen did this back in 2018 with scraps. Like why can't you make this work? And the scientist is like, sir, I'm, I'm not Josh Allen. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's one of those things like 
that team is an embarrassment. And then watching the way you guys fought back against the Chiefs, that has to give you guys at least some cred in the local area, right? Yeah, I think what really stood out to me is I was sitting at the stadium and it was 17 nothing, And I'm texting my friend Alex Rollins, who has a great YouTube channel, by the way. You should check out his videos. Get over 100,000 subscribers. He flew in from California for this game because originally he bought tickets thinking it was going to be Rodgers, Mahomes, and all of that. So I'm apologizing to him saying, man, I'm so sorry you made the trip all the way out here for this. And then the Jets just kind of caught fire after that safety. Everything turned around. But the biggest takeaway was that Zach Wilson played maybe his best game as a pro. He looked confident. His footwork was good. He was playing loose. He made, <laughs> I think on the TV broadcast, which I then rewatched when I got home, Chris Collinsworth kept making comments like, what am I watching right now? It lo- He's looking like a young Aaron Rodgers. Like, this is the guy that everybody thought he was going to be at a BYU. Now, I don't know if he's going to repeat that. Maybe he goes up against Denver and he's bad. Or maybe he plays a couple of good games and then he's bad again. I don't know. But that was, I think, what a lot of Jets fans came out of the game thinking was two things. Number one, the refs completely screwed the Jets. Completely screwed them. And number two... Zach Wilson looked like maybe he still has something to show because everybody was saying, oh, my goodness, we got to pin our hopes on Trevor Simeon the rest of the year as Jets fans, and they're going to have to go into the draft and draft a quarterback. And Zach Wilson went out there and said, "Eh, eh, eh, not so fast. So, again, not saying that after the last two years, but I am saying that the two takeaways for Jets fans after Sunday was the referees are an embarrassment. They cost the Jets the game, and also, wow, Zach Wilson looks like he might still have something in him. I feel awful, and I don't like the Jets. (laughs) There's no love lost watching the way that game turned out. I'm mad as a fan of football. As a guy who just likes seeing hard-nosed football be played the way it should be played, the, the way that game unfolded pissed me off to no end. Just... Like a little home cooking by the officials there to make sure, like the Swifties, we have to keep the, I don't give a fuck about any of this. I don't care about it. What I do know, and I don't give a shit what Dean Blandino wants to go on Twitter and be like, well, technically, fuck you, Dean, you did, you stepped out, stay out, right? Like you decided (laughs) to take, you took yourself out of the equation. This thing's a mess because you chose to make it a mess. Well, and also, Drew, I have to say, as far as Blandino goes, if you want to go technically by the rule book, you can justify almost anything. But the the analogy that was made by Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under on Play Like a Jet, and I think he nailed it, was you can't go eight innings of a baseball game with one strike zone and then in the ninth inning change the strike zone. That was what was going on the entire game. Sauce Gardner, uh, excuse me, Garrett Wilson was getting hand-checked. It was just physical play. It was nothing out of the ordinary the rest of the game, and then they decided at that moment, now we're going to call it. And by the way, we're going to call it after the interception. I think that's really what Well, the that's was. the problem, is that they, they they literally were like, hey, Mahomes is really fucking struggling here. Right. Uh, let's see if we can give him a hand to see if maybe, yeah. maybe it won't be the thing. that decide. And they're hoping, you know the refs, as they throw that flag, they're like, we hope this isn't the one that decides the game. <laughs> and, and it turns out, <laughs> it turns out, so fuck them, fuck Team Blandino. I'm just, I'm tired of this shit. Now, like, I thought that Sala, like, I'm a guy who fell asleep. Like, my day at the stadium was so long, and it was hot, and I'm dehydrated. Yeah. So I fall asleep. I see the Jets falling behind, and I'm like, ah, fuck, I thought this game, like, maybe their defense would come to play. It's not. I'm going to sleep. And I, I wake up in the second half, and your team is right in the thick of it. Now I'm like, well, shit. If I go to bed, I'm an asshole. Because I might miss the Chiefs because I'm a hater, because I'm petty. I'm like, I might miss the Chiefs also losing to the Jets, which will make me insufferable tomorrow on social media. If the Chiefs also lose to the Jets, I'm going to be all over Nick Wright's ass. I'm going to be all over everybody who's going to try to find excuses for them to struggle. And, I mean, it's noteworthy. 
He also threw three picks. And Chris, didn't you say it earlier? They weren't good picks. It wasn't like he was trying to force the ball into triple coverage the way Josh did. These were just throws that Mahomes was He was was trying to do touch passes. (laughs) And he just touched it to the wrong team. How can you qualify the interceptions that you saw Mahomes throw? You know things are not going well when... Ashton Davis, of all people, <laughs> is baiting you into an interception. And the truth of the matter is, he should have thrown four interceptions. The third one, they called back on that sauce penalty, which was ridiculous. And he threw one right to C.J. Mosley, who would, probably would have had a pick six, but he dropped it. This is the second time this season that he dropped what probably would have been a pick six. So, yeah, look, this was as bad as you're going to see Mahomes look and as good as you're going to see Zach Wilson look. And like I said... It reminds me of Marty Jannetty, who I know you and Chris both know, a member of the Rockers with Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Marty Jannetty, I don't know if I've told you guys this story, but it cracks me up. So at one point, there was a jobber named Chuck Austin in WWE who did a match with the Rockers, and he took a bump wrong. Marty Jannetty has a, a move called the Rocker Dropper, where he puts his leg behind your head and basically drives you to the mat. You're supposed to lay out like a pancake. And it's like a famouser. Right, like exactly, like a famous or Billy Gunn. But what this guy did was he wanted to look cool, so he tried to like jump up, and he jumped up and basically spiked himself into the mat and broke his own neck. So he ended up suing Janetti, and I believe the verdict was something like five, six million dollars, and I think most of it ended up being against WWE. And Janetti, when the judge asked him, Mr. Janetti, do you have any questions about the verdict? He said, yeah, can I get a venereal disease from this. And the judge goes, what are you talking about? And he says, well, usually if you get effed raw like this, there's a chance you could get a venereal disease. He said this to a judge. So that I think is what a lot of Jets fans felt watching this game is, hey, can we all get a venereal disease from this? Because the Jets and all the fans in attendance are going to get effed raw and we're looking at the referees and Mahomes, and we're looking at the Taylor Swift nonsense and the NFL posting. Yes. The, the Chiefs are 2-0 and as Swifties, and you're sitting there going, uh. And then, of course, the owner of the team is posting pictures going, look at us, we're Swifties too. You want to drop kick the guy for being so tone deaf. But like I said, all of that, you're watching it, and you're going, Mahomes is playing badly. They held Travis Kelsey in check. Zach Wilson's playing great, and here come the officials to steal it away, and Like you said, very rarely do you see Patrick Mahomes play that way, and that's part of why he's on a tier of his own. Josh Allen, when he's playing his best football, is right there with him, but the consistency is the reason that Mahomes is number one, and this was as bad as you'll see him play, and the Jets should have been able to come out of this with a win, but as I said, like Marty Jannetty talked about with the judge, we all felt like we could have gotten a venereal disease because the Jets got after all by the officials. Now you're going up against a game against the hapless Broncos. The Broncos. If there was a hope that you might be able to guys like turn this thing around, show that you guys still are a team, like this is a coaching staff. Because watching Salah really light into those refs, that's a byproduct of this treatment. How much of that do you expect to carry over to Denver? Well, I'll say this. I think, and people overuse this, but this Denver game may be make or break for the Jets because if they lose, they come home and they've got to face the Eagles. Now, to be fair, the Eagles have looked a lot more beatable than most people have been saying, especially for an undefeated team. Most of the games that they've won, they've won fairly close against the Patriots this past week was a close win in overtime against Washington. So it's not out of the question that the Jets could beat the Eagles at home, but if they come home one and four and have to face that Eagles team and then lose that one, things are are pretty much done with for the season. It's going to be pretty tough to make the playoffs at one and five with a game on the road against the Bills still on the schedule, two games against the Dolphins. So They've got to find a way to try and carry this momentum over. Now, we know what's going on with the Broncos. Russell Wilson in the offense has looked better. Not great, but better. The defense has been horrendous. The Jets have to fly to Denver. they got to deal with that altitude. Never a cakewalk. Remember, the Jets have lost their last three against Denver. So you look at that and you say, can the Jets go in there and win a game 
against the Denver Broncos with that being the case, you know, everything with the, the travel and, and, and can Zach Wilson continue to play well? Can the defense hold up against Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and all of that? I, I think there's a chance. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a slam dunk or anything. It's not. Uh, the Broncos are still favored because it is their home field, but I do think they've got a shot if Zach Wilson plays anywhere near as well as he did against the Chiefs on Sunday. Well, if the defense shows up. So with that in mind, where yeah. can people follow you guys in the run-up to this? Because this week is kind of, like you said, make or break. Where can they hate watch and hate follow you guys on social media, and where can they find your work? Excellent question, Shelton. Uh, to start <laughs> with, before I get into that, by the way, I just want to say I thoroughly enjoyed the Bills beating down the Dolphins. And as you said before, you're no Jets fan. And by the way, that's how I know that the referee screwed the Jets because there were Patriot fan accounts, Bill fan accounts, and Dolphins fan accounts going, look, I hate the Jets, but give me a break here. But um, nobody would ever ever accuse me of being a Bills fan. But I will say, enjoyed that beatdown. Dolphins fans and the team in general needed to be taken down several pegs. And I'm glad that the Bills were able to do it with a 28-point win. But if you want to listen to Play Like a Jet, check out all our content this week. All the places where you would get a podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash play like a jet. We've got some awesome videos up. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, should have one up of Zach Wilson's performance sometime this week. We've, of course, got our store at T Public. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. Andrew, I just want to throw this out there for the record. I said on Twitter that the most wrong I've been, as far as I remember, was about Josh Allen. I didn't think he would be good. You know that. A lot of Bills fans didn't. And somebody came at me and called me all these names and said that I blocked them and all this other stuff. And I'm like, look, first of all, dude, I didn't block you because if I did, I wouldn't be seeing this tweet. But also, you can check with Drew and Chris. I've admitted many, 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 many times that I was very wrong about Alan. And I've also said it on Twitter and on my show and all that. So anyway, glad to be able to, to come on here with you guys every week. Always fun. And let's see what happens this week against the Broncos. But I am. Uh, I was glad to see Zach Wilson take a major step forward, and I was glad to see Josh Allen and the Bills put the Dolphins back in their place a little bit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the New England Patriots. Lost 38-3 to to the Cowboys. It's the worst loss of Bill Belichick's career, right? And now, well, he's probably already on to Cincinnati. You've got a fan base who, for, for the people who already had doubts about Bill, the roster builder, and Bill, the guy who has an ability to identify what a sound offensive decision maker looks like, Oh, today has to feel like hell, and with that, I bring in Christian Simonelli. <laughs> Christian, how you feeling today, brother? Uh, I still got a little bit of a cough, but uh, yeah, I actually feel worse. So I texted you, and I was that game. I, we told our listeners last week you were deathly ill. You have the tra- all the. You should have used that excuse this week. <laughs> you should have used that excuse. Like no, I love. I, the, I love the I fact that he goes. You know what? I feel good enough to come on here and answer to this because this seems like nonsense. I have to ask you, what you just witnessed on Sunday, like, even for the people who trusted in Bill, is this rock bottom? Like, every addict has uh, yeah, their day. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
This has to be one, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one in three to get blown out like that, worst loss of, of Belichick's coaching career. Um, it's actually a troubling trend if you go all the way back to the first year without Brady in 2020. They got blown out at home by the 49ers. They were competitive. 2021, they lose in a primetime game against the Colts on a Saturday night, and they get blown out by you guys in the playoffs that year. 2022, take your pick, but the primetime game against the Vikings on Thanksgiving night, they lose that game. And it's been in front of a national audience where they've gotten undressed routinely. And I have to get out of the habit of saying um, – you know they, they they'll they'll bounce back or this this you know this doesn't happen. I think I've said this to you guys in this podcast mm-hmm. before. Um, it's unheard of, at least in my time here in this twenty year run, that the Patriots open the season zero and two at home. I don't care who you played, with the exception of the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. no team has come in here on a consistent basis and won and had no fear. Now teams just come in here. And it's just another game on the schedule. So life sucks to be <laughs> just one of the other 32. Uh, well, I mean, obviously not one of the upper echelon teams. So more like maybe like life sucks to be like, you know, one of the other, I don't know, 20 to 24 teams that, that are in the league that are just, you know, just, just, just meh and really don't have a shot at a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl. And that's it. It it has to be. Now, I haven't grilled my Massachusetts family members yet, but I'm going to. It's coming about this idea that, guys, the window, (laughs) and then this thing that you guys thought was like, well, Mac will do this, and we'll do that, and we drafted a quarterback in the first round, so it'll be fine. None of these things have worked. And then the problem is is that everything you guys try to do to slap a Band-Aid on things isn't working. One of the most troubling trends I've found is that when you watch the way, and and maybe it has something to do with your schedule, but it's a telling story. You start at week one and you come to week four. Week one with the Eagles, you guys had 24 first downs in that game because no one knew what your offense looked like. Week two, you had 23. Week three, you had 17 first downs. Week four, you had 10 first downs in an entire game of football. It's almost like the things that you guys rely on to move the sticks are becoming more predictable. And that side of the ball is hanging your defense out to dry. Like in those first two games where things were tight, they were close losses. The Dolphins game, the Eagles game, your defense at least forced one turnover. You were holding people in rushing yards, and it just got away from you. You know, and then you look at the Jets game that you won, and you held them to 38 yards rushing because you knew it was all they had. And then you go up against a team like the Cowboys, who are a legitimate contender, and there wasn't a damn thing you guys could do correctly. And it wasn't like you hemorrhaged, right? Like, 253 passing yards and 124. The Bills have been doing that to teams consistently throughout the season. The problem was on the other side of the ball with what you guys ended up with. All of your stats were garbage time. It's the turnovers, the three turnovers by your offense. The fact that the only game you don't have at least two is against the Cowboys. The the turnover differential right there. That might be the worst hallmark of a team that really has to figure out what it wants to be, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Bill points to that every week when they lose. And just getting back to your first down comment real quick, real quickly, you know, you mentioned those and how they went down every game on the offensive side of the ball. Not coincidentally, so did the points. You know, yeah. 20 against the Eagles, 17 against the Dolphins, 15 against the Jets, 3 against the Cowboys. You were the um, one who tweeted it out. Keep- that the, the, you copied the thing on Twitter. Guys, if you're not following them already, yeah. Chris with a T-I-A-N. 71% of Patriots drives end in a punt? That's crazy! Yeah. That is like it's incredible. That is, that's what I would expect, and I hate saying it like this because everyone does the thing where like, oh, this you college, don't you hate the Patriots? I do, <laughs> but if it's like, oh, this college team could beat that NFL team, and you, <laughs> and, and we all know that that's a joke because there's a lot of college offensive linemen who look great in college and stink when they get to the pros. Alabama, when they were in right. their prime, probably would have had a hard time beating the Cleveland Browns. Because every player on the Cleveland Browns is the best player they've ever played in an isolated setting. But 
10 <laughs> first downs a game. I feel like a college team could do that in the NFL. That's damning. Yeah. <laughs> 71% of all your drives end in punts. There's no, like, what happened with Bill O'Brien here? Is he, in the media and amongst Patriots fans, is he catching any of this heat? Or who is all this Detroit is being directed to? Um, this week he started to catch some heat along with Adrian Clem, you know, the two new guys, uh, Adrian Clem being the offensive line coach. Um, and, and, and the heat is, is basically been revolving, is revolved around the running game. Where is it? What happened to it? This team is not going to move the ball if they can't run the ball. They're not going to score points if they can't run the ball. What the hell is wrong with with Ramondre Stevenson? He was your best offensive player last year. You ran him into the ground. Maybe that would, maybe maybe you ran him too far into the ground last year because it seems like he's extremely slow getting out of the gate this year. One of the biggest complaints with Billy O so far has been one Mac has taken a huge number of snaps out of shotgun, and that's not conducive to uh, Ramondre's abilities to you know have him run out of a out of a shotgun, have him run a draw. Um, you know he needs a fullback in front of him. Right, Ramondre I mean, Stevenson's the yards on this team. His yards before contact right now are the lowest on the entire roster at one point seven. So yeah. he's not getting a chance to produce. A chance, no. And I in the offensive line blows. I mean, it, it has been mix and match up there. Up front. You guys yeah, only I have mean, one get... rushing touchdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's That's... just I. <clears throat> I mean, I. And 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 the other thing too, and this has been. This has been the case since going back to 2020. Um, there's nobody outside to challenge deep ball. So defenses are putting seven in the box and saying, seven or eight in the box and saying, we know you have nobody over the top, but we're going to take away all the stuff in the middle that you like to do. We're going to take away your running game. Go ahead. Throw it up to Devontae Parker. Throw it up to Juju Smith-Schuster. Good luck. You know, <laughs> well, not going to happen. So... There's nobody. I feel like this is the early 2010s when we would say on the defense there was nobody to game plan for, and the defense was like a sieve. It's now the same thing with the offense. There's nobody that puts fear into anybody at all. Um, and again, it just look. It goes back to roster building. This draft this the, the, the team. This team got killed with the inability to draft starters and it was early the 18-19 drafts. If you look at those drafts in particular, that. You're supposed to get a left tackle out of that draft. You're supposed to get a running back. You're supposed to get a wide receiver, and you didn't get any of them. If if you hit on those, or at least you had somebody that could contribute at those positions, you know, in the first round picks. I mean, to blow two first round picks on Sony Michelle and Isaiah Wynn, and then to follow that up and blow on that at the wide receiver position, um, you know, I just, I, I just, I don't know how you recover from that. Now, like you tried to do in a twenty twenty one by going out and spending three hundred million in a free agents free agent class, you could basically got like four players out of like the dozen that you signed. Well, but here's the and thing: that, well, well, what is well, what did the Washington agent... Redskins tell us when they did it? It's good for about one year. Well, and, and that's, that's it. it. It makes you good for about one year. That yeah. spending spree that you guys went on in twenty twenty one did well enough to walk you straight down the ge- straight into like what did they call that in the movie three hundred? What does they call that? The uh, like Hell's Gate. Where you guys just walked straight oh, yeah, into right. <laughs> you you walked straight into Buffalo right to the hole. <laughs> you walked straight into Buffalo, yeah. Chris. You you were at that game, the, the playoff game. Yeah, the where per- we just perfect the playoff perfect game. playoff game in Buffalo, where all of that all of the money <laughs> that was spent went just to get you guys absolutely pummeled on national television. And you, you've never been back anywhere since then. And that's the problem, yep. is that it's like, okay, we couldn't do it through the draft. Okay, well, this was a desperation thing of, hey, we'll backfill here. And now you deal with the fallout. So the broader question that comes out of this, because the season's still young, it could turn around. I just, I, I struggled to see how it might. But I look at this and I say to myself, I look over what you have for upcoming games. You have some winnable games ahead of you, teams that are floundering like the Raiders. You know, you're you're going to play teams like the Colts, 
who might be gettable. Mm-hmm. Yep. But realistically, right. what is the local appetite? And like, obviously, a lot's been made about Kraft's age and some of the comments he's made about Belichick being like the the, the GM slash coach. Like, they're not going to bring in a GM mm-hmm. who Bill's going to report to. That power structure can't change unless it's it's like an ice cream right. scoop. You're not taking a scalpel to that. You have to scoop it out, root and stem. So with that in mind, <laughs> as this season progresses, are fans more accepting of the idea of maybe Bill moving on sooner rather than later? I mean, I know the Shula record is important. I know that there is a huge contingent of your fan base that trusts Bill no matter what. How's the temperature right now, based on what you're hearing, what you're involved in, the conversations you have with your own fans? I'm, I'm in, you know, like you guys, I'm in multiple chats on my phone, you know, on Twitter, all that stuff. Like, you just you just go back and forth with people. It's kind of split. There's still half that, that have faith in Bill, and there's another half that want to move on and tear it down to the studs. Um, I'm with the latter. I want to tear it down to the studs. I think Bill's the best to ever do it. I think the game has passed him by. I think it's time to get a new system in here altogether. As much as I like Gerard Mayo, I don't want him to be the hire. I want him to go outside. I want him to get a Sean McVay. I want him to get a Kyle Shanahan. I want him to get a young offensive mind. Ben Johnson, apparently, with Detroit Lions, is going to be a hot name um, this upcoming offseason, supposedly, is what I've been reading and what I've been hearing. I I just want to move on from it. Like, I... I, I just, it, it, it's time. And the record doesn't mean anything to me as a fan. Like, you break Don Shula's record. Whoop-dee-doo. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Like, you already have a Hall of Fame career. You're already renowned, world-renowned. Just the best to ever do it. It's, it, it's, just, it's perfunctory. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, Bill lost. Tom won. In a perfect world, they both ride off into the sunset after the 18 season. They both had huge egos. One went one way. One stayed with New England. One won a championship and retired. The other one is still chasing. It is what it is. That Bill says. Um, Breakups are always I, nice. I love, but it's it's time. It's just it's time. And I can tell you when we always talk about being petty, there's nothing more that I miss. I mean, nothing more than I miss than beating a team. And then the following Sunday night or whenever the next day, go into the opponent's team website and go into the local newspaper to read how they just got schooled. God, do I miss that? God, do I miss that? <laughs> I'm doing it and right that's, now. And I want that. I want that back. I want that back so bad. Like, I know what you know. what You know what I mean, too, because you guys played Miami this week and there's nobody that talks about the Dolphins fans. And you got like, I know you're down there reading Armando Soguero, whatever the hell his name is in Miami, and just saying all the ways that they blew the game. And there's nothing more petty and it brings me joy than doing that. And I haven't been able to do that in like four years. And that's why you fit in with us, because right now I'm yes. looking at Pat's, I'm looking at Pat's pulpit dot com, the SB Nation website, and they go, hey, guys. We acquired J.C. Jackson, and I go, ah, there it is. It's more of Bill just going back to what he knew. It's Bill doesn't have any other moves. He just always goes back to what he knew and what worked in the past. And that's where he's going to die, is in the past. (laughs) Like, that's it. And there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do about that. No, and, like, I get the move because, because, you know, I mean, look. Uh, Miles Bryant and Sean Wade were your starting quarterbacks, and and they were just they were awful. So I get that you had to, you you had to get a body, like you had to get somebody special with Gonzalez, you know, probably going on season ending IR. But oh yeah, the Twitter today was like, yes, yes. I tweeted it out today in jest. Yes, checkers. Bill wins again. Ugh. Oh, he gets JC back for one and a half million after the stupid Chargers gave him, you know, sixty five million guaranteed. So wait a minute. You didn't want him for the money, and you thought it was too much to pay for him. But now that he's back at a million and a half, it's like the best move ever. And honestly, it's going to do absolutely nothing to to improve your team at all. It's status quo, and I get it. Like it's week four, you you have to do something. You can't just give up now. Like you can't just not throw assets at that position. Like you need corners. Um, but it's just funny. I mean, it is like and. and <laughs> We're the laughing stock now, which is like the biggest thing to like reconcile myself with. It's like, wow, we're like the butt of all the jokes, man. It's, it's, it's so bad. There will come a day, Christian, where you and I get together to talk about 
the day Bill Belichick gets run out of town, there will be a day where that gets its own podcast. Unfortunately oh, for yeah. both of us, that day is not today. <laughs> I nope. can't wait till it happens. Until then, why don't you just tell people again where they can follow you on social media? Because <laughs> I love you. Sure, at Chris with the T-I-A-N. And uh, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back on X. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can enjoy my rants. And now... In a segment that I think some of the sicker parts of our uh, sicker parts of our listener group have been waiting on since probably Chris about four forty-five p.m. on Sunday. Check that one thirty, half time. I'm going to crack a. This is Imperial Stout worthy, right? You don't drink a Montucky for a conversation like this. This is Imperial Stout worthy. We welcome to the show, Mister Elfartiaga. Three yards per carry. Who's here to talk to us about his Miami Dolphins, who lost forty-eight to twenty to the Buffalo Bills during our recap podcast? I called this game. And I made a comment about it. This game was kind of a referendum on roster building, and I referenced the Hendricks Classic Castles Made of Sand, and I, I almost found it fitting that it applies to a team coming from South Beach. Obviously, things did not go the way that a lot of Dolphins fans expected, that I think the betting community expected, that I think most of the national media expected. Elf, the way that game wound up and just got out of hand in the second half, because obviously you had to be feeling pretty good about the first half, right? Well, it was 31-14 at half. I felt pretty good about coming out with the ball in the third quarter and walking right down the field and scoring another touchdown. They went for two. And that's, that was the, the first telltale sign that our coaching staff, at least our head coach, didn't think that all was fixed or hunky-dory on the defensive side of the ball. And that's when I began to worry a little bit. But uh, right until that point, I thought it was game on, but the defense just had way too many breakdowns. And they took a couple of injuries, and those two injuries were catastrophic, and they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. uh, they got a lot of work to do on that side of the ball, and it starts this week. Well, so this was one of the things that I, you know, we postulated about in the preseason. We said, look, when Miami is healthy, on paper, you guys have one of the most competitive rosters in football. You have a smart head coach. You've got capabilities at your disposal if you choose to use them and if you can orchestrate them properly. You should be a highly competitive football team. So I wasn't one of these, you know, the, the national media was anointing you guys as. You know, as we kind of, <laughs> in our petty close out the, the recap podcast, we kind of walked back some of the comments that the national media has made about how far the Bills had fallen by comparison to where the Dolphins were sitting and where how you guys were viewed. So I guess when I think about what we saw happen on the field, what you watched was holes in the lineup and some questionable personnel choices to fill those holes blow up in the Dolphins' faces. You know, Kater Kohu. Not a bad cornerback at all, but he's relatively new to playing on the boundary. And at the same time, you're talking about a guy, or at least in, a, in your defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, who, as we also talked about in that podcast, like this isn't the first time that the Bills with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have essentially said, fuck your quarterback one, I'm going to get to CB3. I'm going to find my way to get this matchup because I know Fangio's going to give it to me. You also had Jones in for Elliott at safety, which Jones just with some glaring mistakes, just missed tackles, just not being in position to make plays. Eichenberg at center might be the biggest one. And you tweeted this week that Eichenberg at center was a nightmare scenario that the team should have seen coming. When you watch this back, like every one of those choices failed to a different degree for different reasons. What were some of the most glaring in your eyes? Well, they could have survived the Eichenberg debacle because it just really was a, a play here or there. And not to sound too arrogant about it, the Dolphins can overcome first and 20, yeah. first and 15. Like, that's not a problem. We watched you guys there. convert third and 22. I'm <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, the Dolphins offense, there's not much wrong with it. Okay. The Bills, in my opinion, Although I really like what the Browns have done, and I like their personnel. The Bills probably have one of the best off, uh, defenses in the in the league, if not the best defense in the league. I thought Miami had their way with them and could have scored 30 if they skate, stayed on schedule. 30 points should be enough to win games. But I'm going to go completely off the board because they could have they overcome the debacle 
uh, at center that they had with Liam Michaelberg. He does not deserve to play center in, in the National Football League, especially not make his debut at center in his life against the Buffalo Bills, Daquan Jones. Uh, well, him and Ed Oliver just beat the interior of your offensive line up. Yeah, for most and, of the game. you know, and oddly enough, Austin Jackson was fine. But the reason Austin Jackson was fine because he was left all alone with Rousseau or with Epineza. So he knew who he had in front of him. Uh, all the all the the trickery and all the the actual thinking in the game had to go to our center and our interior line, and that was just a mess. But uh, I think the biggest problem was a glaring one. First of all, uh, Brandon Jones is not a quarter safety, is not a deep safety. He has never played deep safety. No. He has never played quarter safety ever here. He's always been a box safety. There's a reason why this guy had seven sacks in the season. <laughs> okay? Because he essentially plays somewhat like a linebacker. All right? So they play him completely out of position, and he's a complete mess. He didn't know any other line calls. And I would say that the biggest one that the biggest failure had to come there with Deshaun Elliott being out with his shoulder. Um, Deshaun Elliott has had a good season. I think with him alone, there would have been a little bit, uh, a little bit stronger level of competency back there. Otherwise, it's on the film all over the place. I did several chalk talks on this. It, it was just one blown coverage after another. And then when they actually had things covered, uh, they couldn't get pressure, and it was a mess. Uh, they actually had a zero blitz called in where nobody got home, and they sent six guys, Yes, and you guys just left five to block. So let's talk about so, this. What happened? Because, it, I mean, I know part of it is the you – know, we're going to actually talk – it's one of the topics we're talking about for the Bills tonight. This idea that our interior offensive line – because I've watched this team do some of the things your team has done for a long fucking time, which is just – you come up with half measures for your interior offensive line. You say, you talk yourself into liking an Ike Bucker, uh, a Ryan Bates. You talk yourself into the idea that, well, you know, we gave a bunch of money to Roger Saffold, so he should be good. And then when it's not manifesting itself, you go, well, at least it's a one-year deal. We can get by. What the Bills currently have in Connor McGovern and the rookie Cyrus Torrance, this is what in, like a dominant interior offensive line is supposed to play like. When you come into a game with a team that's missing one of its premier pass rushers, and you know that they have a very talented player at defensive tackle, but they don't have a ton of depth around him, it should look like that. It should look like when they bring a zero blitz, your quarterback has a pocket that he can stand in and just watch paint dry. And that's what we saw. Like on that play you're referencing, I know exactly the one. That was one of the biggest boons to our offense on the day, was just the fact that our line handled yours at the line of scrimmage, and that did your linebackers and these defensive backs zero favors. Do you blame Fangio for this? Yeah, I mostly blame Fangio, but there was some bad play there, too. Um, you know, I, I understand Christian Wilkins has like a rivalry going with Buffalo Bills fans, but he's had some of his best games against mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills. You know, I remember this guy is not, is not a guy that's going to actually show up in the stat sheet with a bunch of sacks, but he will pressure the quarterback a little bit and he will get some tackles for loss and he'll play stout against the run game. Uh, the Dolphin defense against the run was fine, but that's not really where the game was lost. The game was lost because they just couldn't cover anybody. And Josh Allen was his normal Josh Allen self, which he usually is against the Dolphins, but their pass rush just couldn't get there. And even when they called zero blitzes, like, they weren't executing their rushes. Like, mo- most of our zero blitzes are either B or A-gap blitzes. We don't usually come from the outside. And against mm-hmm. Josh Allen, it's usually best to come from the inside. Uh, when you call those B-gap blitzes, especially when, when it's a zero, your defensive tackles have to knock people out of the way. And uh you guys were being first and it was something that that I, I had talked about all week that is something that Miami had done all season which is making their offensive line look much better than it was and that was all those run actions was actually getting pass rushes knocked off balance and i thought that the the bills did a lot of that in this game and yeah consider me i'm not a huge McGovern fan but i am a a, a pretty big Osiris Torrance fan uh, i like them coming out and I like him even better now. I think he's one of the, the better-looking rookies in the NFL. And he was absolutely stout and strong against uh, Wilkins on on Sunday. And, yeah, if if you had to, like, 
put a balance, and it's something I like to do as far as wins and losses. Uh, this is one of the more lopsided losses that Kristen Wilkins has taken, and I'd give it somewhere like a, a 75-25 in favor of Torrance, and that's saying a lot because nobody ever does that to Kristen Wilkins. So I would say you got one. Like He's a really, really nice player. Dude, it's it's crazy. Like When he got drafted, the fact that he fell to Buffalo where he did, considering all the swings and misses Buffalo has had on offensive linemen in the draft, I'm not going to lie, I was a little skeptical, but watching the way he's come through training camp took Ryan Bates' job pretty emphatically. And the the hole in his game was supposed to be pass pro, and we're not seeing that. So that's that's obviously a good thing. One of the most curious stats is I'm kind of pouring over statistics because I, I don't like to beat the same drums as everybody else. I like to bring something a little bit different. You know, and I'm always looking, because I'm, and I'm also thinking about what I noticed in the game. And then I'm trying, I go back home, I make some notes on my phone during the game while I'm there. And then I go back home and try to see if, okay, does the tape into the statistics back up what my eyes saw? Because again, I'm usually 10, what, Chris, 10 beers? Is that a conservative measure? Yep. I'm 10 beers in. There's no People who are like, well, I was at the game and I noticed, yeah, I, I, you didn't notice shit and neither did I. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. <laughs> so. I, I noticed that it just looked like your scheme was working as designed, right? You look at the statistics and you see how little production for the first time all season your main offensive weapons had. And I said to myself, that's crazy considering how often I saw them getting what looked to be open. So going and I go to Next Gen Stats and I look. Stefan Diggs had two yards on average of separation on the day average of two yards of separation from the nearest defender. You guys had three players, Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill being two of them, who all had more than three and a half. And at the same time, the the production was just wildly suppressed. What do you think, as somebody who watches the film from your perspective, what do you think that was a byproduct of? The scoreboard? No, I no, no, the... no. The separation. Just the separation. How Diggs didn't have the separation that I was... Because I kept watching and I go, Waddle looks open. Hill looks open. These guys are getting open and at the same time, even when they do get the ball, they're not getting anywhere with it. You're not seeing those long downfield scoring plays. You're not seeing any of the explosive downfield stuff or at least a, a, a sustained level of it throughout the course of four quarters. Like, what, in your opinion, did you see when you look back at that game in that regard in terms of them getting open versus them not not having the production that usually goes along? Well, their zones, uh, the Bills' zones were always tighter, and they tackled well, and that was important. And uh, another another byproduct of, of your defense, which, and we talked about this on the podcast last week, is how well your your linebackers get out onto the flats for those flare routes which are the safety valves for the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolphins, I think, had very few. I think they had one. Um, I think I have the numbers. In, let me get the numbers here. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. No, because it's just right. like seeing I, Braxton Berrios have 3.8 years. Like, he had a great game, and he's like the look, only there's five flare-outs. Five, five flare-outs. The Dolphins broke two tackles on them. One of them was by Durham Smythe where he got eight yards, okay? Uh, and here's the key. A-chan had the other one. Mostert had none. So that's the key. If you're throwing flare outs out to the boundary because you don't like what your first and your second window is showing you, and usually against everybody else we're getting six or seven yards, but now we're getting three yards, that's a huge difference. If you're getting out in front of the Dolphins on first and second down, that's going to help you mm-hmm. uh, to stop their offense. So that's going to keep you. That's going to keep them off of schedule and you ahead. No, so, for sure. And and the opposite was true for for the Bills. Like, Dolphins weren't tackling on the flats at all. And the Bills were getting a lot out there on flare routes. So, you know, usually when you're, when, when your plan B and plan C is better than the other team's plan B or plan C, uh, the scoreboard could start to look a little bit lopsided like this one did. That really got away from you. Now, last question before we let you go. People regard Mike McDaniels as a good head coach and a very smart one. Now, obviously, your scheme works, and I don't. This isn't Chris. Chris knows I once famously called into our radio local radio station and declared that the Patriots were dead after they got blown up by Kansas City, and that was the on to Cincinnati game. And then they went on to just tear everyone a new one for another 
three and a half months. So I don't think, like, obviously this win doesn't diminish what the Dolphins are. I think, if anything, it raises the profile of who the Bills are, and I think it reminds people that we are a very good team. I guess the question is for you, you and your fan base, because your fan base has been hysterical this week on face on Twitter. The fan base was hysterical at seven nothing, and then and then they were they had him in the Super Bowl at seven seven. Then they were back to you know jumping off of bridges at fourteen seven, and then when it was fourteen fourteen, they already had them going probably undefeated. So you know they're they're nuts. The Dolphin fan base is schizophrenic at best. So obviously this takes some of the wind out of the sails of everybody who is like, well, Fangio, we got McDaniels, we got everybody, we're going to the Super Bowl. If you could only fix one thing, right? The offensive line, the offensive decisions under pressure, like we talked about how bad those fourth down plays went, like all-time bad. You go for it on fourth and short multiple times and end up getting sacked for giant losses twice. Like... Decisions under pressure, defensive play calling. If you could only fix one of these things in the next calendar month, what would it be? Uh, I think it's the coverages on on defense. Uh, uh, health will help, but health. When they had health, they still had some of these coverage issues. They got to fix some of those coverage issues, and maybe it might be as simple as Jalen Ramsey coming back and Nick Needham coming back, who's back this week, and Deshaun Elliott coming back. So. Once they get all those guys back, maybe that'll help things, but they need to sort this thing out on, on the defensive end, especially on the coverage end. Uh, they're asking some of these guys to do too much and they seem confused out there. They're not playing football and it's getting them out of position. Uh, on offense, I don't have any sing- I don't have a single concern uh, at all uh, on offense. Uh, they're fine there and they'll act- they're actually going to get better because I think they found a, they got a star in this kid, HM. <sighs> Man, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> in the meantime, for the rest of our our petty ass fan base who wants to uh, follow you, follow your work, maybe gloat a little bit, where can everybody find you on social, and where can they find your work? Uh, well, you could you could see all our work online at you know the number three yards per carry on Twitter, or if you want to listen to if you want to hate listen to our podcasts, you could go to anywhere you get your podcast, the number three yards per carry, and you can listen to us there. Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, the dangerous alliance of the AFC. Now, do they have stupid outfits? No, dangerous alliance was one of the better uh, faction gimmicks in the uh, early '90s for WCW. Best three-man WWF groups ever. Well, they weren't three men. It was a faction. It was Rick Rude, Paul Heyman, or Paul E. Dangerously. Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco. What I don't like, though, hang on. So when I Google that, all I get, right, are newer things like Team ECK. I don't know what that is. Well, Team ECK was from the Raw, like Raw's War era. But otherwise, all of these groups that show up for the Mexicools. Yeah, that would work today. That seems like a terrible idea. (laughs) <laughs> this is like a terrible concept to try to pawn off on wrestling. The Lucha House Party. Um, like, what are these? Legacy. Too Cool might have been one of the best. Yeah, they were good. Can we say that, put, put the actual like wins and losses aside, if we want to talk about three-man WWF groups that were just fun, Rikishi and two, like Scotty Tuhati and whatever. The, Brian or, Christopher. Is that was that his name? Yeah. Did he have like a ring name or was it just Brian Christopher? I only remember him as Brian Christopher. I could be wrong. Oh, they call him Sc- oh, no, yeah, Rikishi, Grandmaster Sexy, and Scotty Tuhati. Oh, that's what it was. Grandmaster Sexy. Jesus Christ! How did how did this stuff get passed? Like, there's writers involved. There's people who take this seriously. But then you know what else I found out? I also found out that Patrice O'Neill used to write for WWF. <laughs> I, oh, I heard out, about that too. Yeah, I found out that like there are comedians who used to write like famous stand-up comics, comics now who used to be writers for WWF. And yeah. I go now, some of this stuff makes sense. I can see Patrice O'Neill being like, "Hey, you know what would make sense? We make this big, fat, like, like sumo outfit wearing Samoan dude." Well, he got fired from WWF six times. I'm sure. And they kept hiring him back. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they like take this guy 
and then make him the centerpiece of these two weird white dudes. Like, if anything, that might be closer to what we have going on here, wouldn't it? I think so. One, <laughs> one guy with a little bit of melanin squeezing between two weirdos. I mean, I mean, we're, that's what I love about this podcast stuff. We're all just a bunch of dorks yelling into microphones about things we love. But the things we love are on top, baby! There it is! Those of you watching on YouTube can see it. I'm wearing it. The Bills run the East! Oh, it feels good to be able to put this back on again. <sighs> the Buffalo Bills obviously won 48-20. You know, we were the only team in the division to win this weekend. That makes sense. Dorsey looks like he's finally, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, he looks like he's getting it in terms of play calling. You know, if you go to cover one, he had a really interesting, Eric Turner did a really interesting breakdown of the form, the formations that were being used personnel-wise versus what you would think they were. Because I challenged him, you know, I, I reached out to him and I was like, the 12 personnel has been working so well. I'm in the stands. You know, he just got done telling Elf, if you're in the stands, the odds that you actually understand football nuance, like there are some things you can pick up on. But by and large, you're not getting the picture. And so I reached out to him and I was like, the shotgun shit came right back. And I, I kind of hate that. And, you know, this this 11 personnel, the you know, 22 person. And he looked, he came back and was like, he looked at it and came back and goes, you have no idea how wrong you are. A lot of these formations out of the shotgun that they were running are still technically 12 personnel. It was just Kincaid split out wide. And on one, like on one play. Trent Sherfield is lined up in the backfield. Now, if you don't know what you're looking at as a defensive coordinator, you just see a guy go out there. You know who Sherfield is. You've got spotters who are telling... Because you had him. But what you also are thinking about is, well, he's lined up as a running back, so obviously they're not running the ball. So maybe you're radioing down to your linebacker, and you're saying, well, that, that's a wide receiver in the backfield. You know, whatever. But then the play breaks down, and they end up carrying with all the other receivers and give Trent Sherfield just a wide open look where he's got leverage on the guy who's covering him. And that's the end. He just gets a really easy reception for easy yards. That's the stuff that was missing from this offense last year. Last year, it was a lot of, Hey, after you know do every snap, if we have to set up with wide receivers out there and it's obviously not a run play, the pass is intended to be 11, 12, 13, 14 yards downfield. Now you're seeing Dorsey embrace the fact that we can win by playing small ball. We can go out there and, hey, we'll get creative. That Chris, I don't doubt one bit that that would have been the Naheem Hines role. Yeah. Could you see him? Like, him, I could see that being a play designed specifically for him. That maybe they were thinking about all offseason where they go, we're going to do this and we're going to use Kincaid here and we're going to split, we're basically going to separate the linebacker, pull the safety. The linebacker in his zone is going to try to come back, but by that time it's too late because there's a cushion that's been given and now we can get the ball to this player and see if he can generate yak. They, it's like it was a perfect play for Hines. Hines ain't here anymore. So they did the next best thing, and they said, okay, who's a, who's a wide receiver who's fast, has a great speed, and we feel like he maybe play through a little contact? All right, Sherfield, go. Like, that's a... I like the fact that it was Sherfield, if only philosophically, because it shows that our offensive coordinator is now thinking about these wrinkles. He's thinking about those dynamics of the playbook. That's going to be the thing that makes us dangerous. It's not the fact that because last season he started hot too, and then Dorsey fizzled out around halfway through the season. But that's because most of what he was doing was either given to him by the defense, so he just took it, or it was predicated on these ideas that he knew what he wanted to do, and the second those things got figured out, it just became games of us trying to huck the ball downfield into coverage, hoping someone made a play. Now you're watching him scheme guys open to get positive yardage, even if it is on a short on a short basis. You need that because it puts tape out there that now that's... Chris, that's something that the Jaguars are now going to have to defend. And I wouldn't be shocked to see a play 
where they put Sherfield or a wide receiver, Hardy, in the backfield again. Except this time it's not a passing play. This time it's a it's a designed quarterback draw. But you've seen it on tape and you go, okay, well, when they do this, it was a pass out here. So the linebacker needs to know to stay home on this side of the field and make sure he carries with that guy when he breaks the line of scrimmage. You could do that and completely pull a guy out of formation and leave nobody to crash and get Josh Allen when he breaks off tackle. These are the things that what Dorsey's doing. Like, it's one thing to have fun talking about that in the preseason. Like, we talked about it with Anthony Prohaska. Year after year after year, the Bills have had a lot of fun things that they could have done. But it comes down to the play caller and what they like to do, what they're comfortable with, what they think they know about their personnel and their quarterback. We're watching Ken Dorsey dial up exotic play calls. The type of stuff that the Chiefs, like we're accustomed to seeing that type of offense from the Kansas City Chiefs. We're getting wrinkles of these things. The the red zone touchdown run for the Bills this weekend, where you have a pulling tackle. A pulling tackle... Josh Allen pulls the ball out and just runs, and there's a perfect crease for him to just stroll into the end zone and lay the ball up, you know, jump across the goal line. He's got nothing but time. There's no one coming to touch him. This is this is the type of stuff that has legs that can carry you through a season. I'm it's showing the maturity of our play caller. And I think that, more so than a lot of other things, is going to carry this team as we move forward. The other thing I don't think we got to touch on in our recap podcast, or at least enough, was that the offensive guards on this team are not getting their... I don't think they're getting enough flowers in terms of the offensive rebound and what we've been able to accomplish here as a football team. It just doesn't seem like they're getting enough of the credit we just talked to Elf, and he talked about the fact that the, the, his team sent a zero blitz. And Josh Allen was able to stand, I think it was three and a half, almost four seconds. Stand, scan the field, and deliver. It's a zero blitz! Everyone came, and no one got home. Your, your offensive line was outmanned, and still didn't give up a pressure on your quarterback. That's wildly impressive, wouldn't you say, Chris? Uh, yeah. So when you think about who's doing what, first of all, Connor McGovern, I'm probably guilty. I'm probably one of those people who is guilty of assuming that this signing, you know, I liked it, but I was just kind of like, well, that's just another thing that's going to happen because he's, I, I literally viewed it as him being, I don't know how to describe this, Chris. It's kind of like, Imagine like you just got burned by Saffold and now you went out and spent similar money on another guy who's quote unquote supposed to be good. I don't know. How the fuck am I supposed to feel about that? I just shrug and go, okay, well, hopefully he's not awful through four, What are we now? Four games in, we're going into game five. He's allowed five hurries, six pressures and a sack. He's rated as one of our top pass protectors on the offensive line. In fact, he is the best right next to Deion Dawkins. The left side of our line is performing incredibly well in pass protection. I think one of the impressive things, though, is Torrance, just from the standpoint that he's a rookie. The fact that he's a rookie and he's playing well in pass protection with no sacks given up. What is this? Uh, Six pressures, five hurries, one quarterback hit. That group right there, when you combine them with Mitch Morse, who has a couple pressures, most of them, most of the pressures he's given up came in that Jets game. And I wonder, Chris, how many of those did he get the credit for because you had a rookie in Torrance who was trying to pass off a Quinn and Williams to Morse yeah. rather than trying to go toe-to-toe with Quinn and Williams in his very first NFL game? Yeah, makes sense. So then you fast forward to this week and you watch Torrance going up against Christian Wilkins and handling him for most of the game. This kid has grown so much over that first month of football. And I don't know where the ceiling is because pass pro was supposed to be the thing he wasn't good at. He's already improved our rushing attack. 
pass pro was supposed to be where he was going to struggle in the pros. That's why nobody drafted him, right? You think about well, like let me look at this, Chris. If you could on that screen, twenty twenty three draft recap, if you could find that for me, because I guess my point is there was other offensive linemen taken ahead of him. If you want you, the whole draft list? Just the draft list. I just want to see the first round. I just want to see the first round. I want to see who could, because. It, First, in fact, I don't think there was any interior offensive lineman. I think this first one was a center that was taken early at the uh, back end, uh, top of the second. Perfect. See, you know, it's it's always Wikipedia because they just have this easy chart. So if you scroll down, there's no guards drafted highly in the draft, and there was talk about Torrance potentially being in that first round conversation, but he's a guard. Steve Avilia, first one taken, thirty six to the Rams. Okay. The Rams' offensive line is okay. Matt Bergeron to the Falcons at 38. Okay. Cody. Cody Mock, who is more of a tackle. He's a, he's listed as a guard, but he's a tackle. And then Torrance was next yeah. at 59. So multiple teams took guards ahead of us, and we are incredibly lucky that Torrance fell to us because right now he is melding with what this offense wants and needs so well. So incredibly well. And so when you watch a game where in back-to-back-to-back weeks, all of a sudden the offense just looks impregnable, and you say to yourself, well, what's the difference? What changed? There is no A and B gap pressures in Josh's face, and you're getting to watch him stand back there and deal. And he's, and he's doing it. But he's doing it intelligently because he doesn't feel now. Now that he doesn't feel that pressure and he's not scrambling as much and he's not running around, he feels like... He can orchestrate the offense appropriately. He can use those dump-offs, his check-downs, his intermediate throws. You're watching the expansion of this offense, and for as much as I want to credit Dorsey with that, and as much as I want to give Josh Allen credit for growing up and understanding that he needs to do those, take the layups where you can get them, none of this happens if the interior of the offensive line plays like they did in 2022. That has become quietly the one of the... I want to say one of the most impressive strengths of our entire offense. And I just don't think they're getting enough love. So I'm willing to give it to him and I'll crack a fresh one for him. Boys, you done good. Now, Chris, I'd love to sit here and espouse about this shit all night, but we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.